I don't understand me. I don't understand me. I often don't understand the workings of my own heart. How about you? Do you understand you? I lie to myself repeatedly, frequently. And then I go and believe the lies. I cheat myself. I trick myself. I I deceive myself. The last two weeks, I've asked the same question. What lies do we want to believe? Because our own hearts often feed those lies to ourselves. Sometimes I find myself doing something wrong, bad, and I know I'm doing it, and I know that I chose to do it, but I don't really understand how I got there. I'm not blaming anyone else. I'm blaming me. I just don't understand how I did it, and I don't really understand why I did it either, because when I'm sane, I would never do that. Sin is insane. Now, that's true of lots of areas in my life, but I've recently been sharing about my struggles with gluttony. Sometimes I find that I have eaten that extra plateful after all. I didn't set out to do it. At least, I would say I didn't set out to do it. I woke up that morning intent on being disciplined with my eating and resisting the temptation towards gluttonous overeating. And then sometime after supper, uh, I find myself uncomfortable and extra sleepy. I'm wondering, what happened? What came over me? What, what hit me? Well, it was me that hit me. I don't have anybody to blame but me. Nobody else raised that fork to my mouth. How did I do it, though? Why did I do it? Jeremiah 17, 9 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and for good reason. In that verse, Jeremiah scratches his head over the mystery of the human heart. Look with me at that. It's the one right before I read to you. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, I don't know about you, but I resonate with that verse. The heart, the the core of the human being is deceitful. Above all things, there are fewer things that are more tortuous, more mysterious, more crooked in the world than the human heart. Jeremiah says it is beyond cure. That is to say, you and I cannot fix it. I cannot fix your hearts. I can't fix my heart. I can't even understand my heart, much less fix it. Who, Jeremiah says, can understand the human heart? I feel you, Jeremiah. I feel you. And I think the Apostle Paul did too. Even though Paul was a Christian and a leader in God's church, remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 7? I, Paul, do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. You feel that tension? So we're in good company. If we can't understand our own hearts, even as Christians who've experienced the new birth, Paul and Jeremiah and you and I say, who can understand our hearts? But it's not just a rhetorical question. 
Because Jeremiah didn't stop there. He went on to answer his own question in the next verse, the one I already read to you, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. The Lord searches the heart. And the Lord understands what he sees there. He's not mystified. The Lord is not baffled by the search results when he accessed our hearts. Like, okay, let's call up Matt's heart. Whew. I don't understand what I'm seeing here. That's not the Lord. The Lord is not bewildered by what, by what he sees when he looks intently on our insides. Remember the story of David? He was the little guy, the runt of the litter. When they called to get him a king, when they called to get a king for Israel, they didn't even call for David because he's, he's David, you know? I got all these strong sons, and it was none of them. And Samuel says, do you have another son? Because I was told it was going to be one of your sons. Well, there's David. He's out, he's out with the sheep. He's just, a, he's just a kid. Okay, well, bring him in here. Because the Lord, because man looks on the outward appearances, but the Lord what? Looks on the heart. He, and he's not confused by what he sees there. I, the Lord, Yahweh, search the heart and examine the mind. And in David, he saw a man after God's own heart. The word translated mind there is literally kidneys. We, we talk about our heart. Of course, we don't think actually with this beating thing inside of us either. We don't feel with it, but we, it's the insides, right? Same thing with the kidneys, right? We would, we would tend to say the brain, but they went for like that deep part of you. In other words, the Lord has x-ray vision. He sees into the deepest recesses of the human insides where we do all of our thinking and feeling and choosing all of our worshiping. What is hidden to others is plain to the Lord. And he uses that perfect knowledge to administer perfect justice. Listen to verse 10 again. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Uh-oh. That's probably bad news, isn't it? Because there's no fooling this God. I might fool everyone else. I might fool even myself. But the Lord will not be fooled. And that's why verses 9 and 10 are in Jeremiah 17. Because the Lord directed Jeremiah to write a chapter here that's a little more like something Solomon might write. This chapter is more like what we often call wisdom literature, like you find in the Proverbs or in some of the Psalms. The Lord inspired Jeremiah, the prophet, to paint a vivid word picture of two different pathways, two options for living. To paint a vivid prophetic word picture of two different outcomes that come from living out those two different options, this path and this path, and they both end up in different places. Two ways to live. That's prophetic wisdom literature. The two ways and only two ways for our hearts to be directed. And therefore, he doesn't want us to think that we can get away with anything. Because the Lord himself searches our hearts. He knows what path we're on. Whatever we tell ourselves. 
Sadly, the direction of Judah's heart had already been irrevocably decided. Let's turn now to verse 1, Jeremiah 17, 1. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a fine point, a flint point on the tablets of their hearts. There's that word hearts. And on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain and the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for you have kindled my anger and it will burn forever. We are now one-third of the way through the prophecy of Jeremiah. So these words are probably no surprise to us. Jeremiah was a broken record about a broken covenant. His message was that Judah's heart was hard. And the direction of the nation was set in stone, engraved, he says, inscribed, like the Ten Commandments, right? But on their hearts was their sin. And it was ingrained. Even the children knew the drill. And judgment was coming because of this. Inevitably, it was ingrained as well. As we saw the last two weeks, the Lord could no longer show compassion and was withdrawing His blessing, His love, and His pity from His people. They were going to be uprooted and hurled into exile. At some moment, they had crossed that point of no return. But I believe that this book was compiled in large part for the people who came after this. It wasn't just written for the people of Judah that Jeremiah was preaching to. It was also written down and compiled into this book for the Jews who were in exile trying to understand what had happened to them to get them there and to make choices while they were there and then down the road. And it's written for you and me to make our choices from today as well. So in verses 5 through 8, Jeremiah makes the two ultimate choices as crystal clear as he possibly can. And, and what he writes sounds a lot like a psalm. In fact, it sounds like a particular psalm. It sounds like the first psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 1. I'm pretty sure that Jeremiah knew Psalm 1 and was riffing on it in chapter 17. I'm going to read the whole thing to you, verses 5 through 8, because I want to load the whole thing up into your mind. But I want to ask you to read with me verses 7 and 8. There are hide-the-word memory verses for this fall. We're going to say these words every Sunday for the foreseeable future. Misty has them on the back of your bulletin if you don't have the old NIV in front of you. Follow along as I read verses 5 and 6 and then read verses 7 and 8 with me. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Together now. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I have three very simple points of application this morning from this text. 
And they actually feel too simple for such a beautiful passage as this one. But we don't focus on my words here anyways. We focus on God's words. But here's an outline for you. Trust, pray, obey. Trust, pray, obey. Very simple. Here's the first point, broadened out a little bit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? Jeremiah paints a vivid word picture of the two different kinds of people, the cursed and the blessed. Now, let me ask you a trick question as we begin to look at this more closely. Which of these two kinds of people have faith? Which of them put their faith in someone? Which of them exercise trust? Now, before you answer, remember it's a trick question. Which one of them has faith? Both, right. It's a trick question because the answer is everybody has faith. We say sometimes faith-based or that's a person of faith. Everybody's a person of faith. The question is faith in what? Faith in who? Faith in whom? Solomon, I mean Jeremiah, starts with those who are cursed in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. So this kind of person is a person of faith. They're, They're a trusting person. We all are. But they've turned away from the Lord and are trusting in themselves and in what they can do. Or perhaps in what other humans, in, what, in other humans and what they can do. Regardless, they are trusting in humans and turning from the Lord in their hearts. And remember, the Lord searches the hearts. He knows. They might look good on the outside. This person might come to church. They might be fine, upstanding citizens in the eyes of their neighbors. They might talk a good game. They might talk about the Lord all the time. They might have even fooled themselves. But the Lord searches the heart. And inside, these people are trusting themselves and turning from Him. And here's what their lives will end up looking like. The Sahara. The Negev the Mojave, the desert. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. That's a picture of a life that's cursed. Your life is shriveled, desiccated, and dying. You're all alone and dried up. You're weak and sad and thirsty. And even when there are good things on the offer, you don't get them. He will not see prosperity when it comes, deprived, lacking, empty. Now, like all good wisdom literature, it's not saying that the person who chooses to trust themselves never experiences prosperity of any kind. The Bible tells us that there, for a time, the wicked will prosper. Read Psalm 73. But it's short-lived and not spiritual, and not ultimate. That road leads to desert-like death. But the other road leads to life. And what a beautiful life. Look at verse 7 again. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, in Yahweh, whose confidence is in Him, the Lord. 
he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I know which one I want to be. How about you? These are actually the only two options, no matter how it often seems. I know which one I want our church to be. I want us to be blessed. I want us to be the like a tree church. Popping off fruit left and right. Notice that this blessing does not mean that we escape all hardship just because we're trusting in the Lord. Any preacher that smiles and tells you that is selling you something, right? They want you to buy the book or get the DVD, right? Send in your money to keep us on the air, okay? They're selling something. No, no, this blessing does not mean that we escape all hardship, even though we might wish it would. See in verse 8 that the heat still comes. Maybe a desert wind. A Sirocco blows in. And verse 8 says that there may be a drought. You living through a dry time right now? Jeremiah and the other faithful remnant of Judah, there were other believers during Jeremiah's time. Very small, very small minority. They all had to go through the droughts and the deprivations leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. Many of the faithful had to be carted off to Babylon like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Or as we know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their faithfulness did not shield them from the heat. But those who trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him, ultimately have nothing to fear. Drought? Okay. I'll send my roots down deep into this stream right here. And I'll be okay. I'm not scared of anything. And I'll bear fruit under any circumstances. It's a drought. I still have fruit. I still have leaves. We could live like that. I want to live like that. That's the blessed life. We can live like that because Jeremiah says that this blessing comes to those who trust in the Lord and who put their confidence in Him, their reliance. It's that simple. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. I don't want to be some dried up bush in the wasteland. I want to be a tree planted by the water, popping off fruit left and right. And the way to get there is to transfer my trust from myself and any other mere human and put it all on the Lord. But I got to really do that and not try to fake it because the Lord knows the truth even when I don't. Verse 9 again, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. He knows which of these paths we are really on. We might try to fool ourselves. I think that's the point of verse 11. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay is the man who gains riches by unjust means. When his life is half gone, they will desert him. And in the end, he'll prove to be a fool. That's someone who thinks that they can get ahead by trusting in themselves and doing things their way. 
ooh, I like their eggs. The, the partridge sits on their eggs. I'll hatch them. I'll get them. I don't have to do any work. No. Passing them off as your own. No. The wealth that comes from that is not real and will not last. The Lord searches the heart. He sees where you got those eggs. And he'll bring justice. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Okay, next question. Is that easy or is that hard? Well, it's simple, right? Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in yourself. Very simple. But it's not always easy, is it? So that leads us to point number two. Pray. Trust and pray. Pray to the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Pray to the Lord with all of your heart. Hold nothing back. In verses 12 through 18, Jeremiah gives us another one of his heartfelt prayers. We often call them his confessions or even his protests because he gets so real and raw with the Lord. They're a lot like the Psalms, especially the Psalms of Lament. This one begins with praise, verse 12. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Jeremiah begins by praising God for who he is. He's the God on the throne, symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant and the Temple of Jerusalem, the footstool of his throne. The Lord, Yahweh, is the only hope of Israel. He's the spring of living water. and We should trust him. Because, and here's that other option again, those who turn away from the Lord will be written in the dust. There'll be a bush in the wasteland. They'll be in the dustbin of history. The Lord is where the life is. And so Jeremiah turns to him and asks him for help. Verse 14, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. Jeremiah is, as he often was, under attack. His detractors hate his message and mock him for it. They're taunting him, right? You keep saying that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Forty years of this. Where is it? I don't think you know what you're talking about, Jeremiah. You've been a broken record about a broken covenant. Where's the judgment? I don't see it. So Jeremiah says, I need help here, Lord. Help me to stay faithful. I feel so sick. Please help me. Help me to keep trusting you. Help me to keep doing this. Have you prayed something like that recently? I don't know if I can keep doing this, Lord. Help. It must have been so painful to be a prophet like Jeremiah was. But he knew that the Lord knew his heart. Verse 16, I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. The Lord searches the heart. He knows. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. He's asking for justice. 
Jeremiah knew that the Lord searches his heart and he knew that the Lord would find faithfulness there. Not perfection. Sometimes he got way off course. Remember chapter 15 where he went too far? Well, he's found his way back here. Jeremiah's own heart would sometimes lead him astray. But the Lord searches the heart and he would find that Jeremiah had not shrunk from his prophetic task. He kept shepherding. He had not desired for the nation to go into exile. He never got so mad at them or fed up with them or hated them. But he had faithfully preached the word to them for 40 years. I want to be like that. I want to get to the end of a 40-year stretch of shepherding ministry and be able to pray to the Lord and say, what passes my lips is before you. Jeremiah had chosen the right path, the one that leads to blessing. Didn't mean there wasn't heat. Didn't mean that there wasn't drought. But it does mean that he had leaves and fruit and no fear. It was a painful path, but a fruitful one. And so Jeremiah prays with his whole heart that the Lord would keep him on the right path and that he would keep trusting the Lord. Verse 17, you are my refuge in the day of disaster. Help me. That's a model for our prayer life today. You and I should run to the Lord when we're under attack and take refuge in him. When was the last time you prayed this? These are the words I'm going to take with me and pray on Tuesday on my prayer retreat. I love how real and raw they are. Pray to the Lord with all of your heart. Don't hold anything back. Give Him the whole thing. Number three and last, obey. Obey the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Pray to the Lord with all of your heart. And obey the Lord with all of your heart. That's the point of this last section of Jeremiah 17. It feels at first a little out of place. It's almost like a record scratch. Er, er, what? That's because we don't realize how important the Sabbath was supposed to be for the Old Testament believers. Look at verse 19. This is what the Lord said to me, Jeremiah. Go and stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and out. Stand also at all the other gates of Jerusalem. Say to them, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and all people of Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem who comes through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your forefathers. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. But if you are careful to obey me, there's our word, obey, declares the Lord, And bring no load through the gates of the city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work on it. Then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of the city with their officials. They and their officials will come riding in in chariots and on horses, accompanied by the men of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, and the city will be inhabited forever. Blessing. People will come from the towns of Judah and the villages around Jerusalem, from the territory of Benjamin and the western foothills, from the hill country and the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings, incense and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. 
It's a picture of blessing. But if you do not obey me, there's the word again, to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. So do you get the picture? And again, it's, the, it's this or it's this. Jeremiah was to stand at the gate of the people and tell them to obey the fourth commandment or else. It's another way of saying the same thing as those two poetic pictures of verses 5 through 8. Because when they would break the fourth commandment, they'd be putting their trust in man and depending on flesh for its strength. And their hearts would be turning away from the Lord. Think about the fourth commandment. You know which one, right? Keep the Sabbath day holy. We all get caught up in the do's and don'ts of that. Especially because it doesn't directly apply to us today in the same way in the new covenant. It's very foreign to us. Study Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 and then look in the gospel and see what Jesus says about the Sabbath. And then study Hebrews and what it says about the Sabbath. The Sabbath now is a principle okay, of rest. It's different for us today. But they were supposed to obey it. The Sabbath was a command and it was a command to rest and to trust in the Lord one day out of seven. And to not trust in what they could do through their work. Or what you could get your workers, even your animals, to do for you on that day. Right? One day a week, they had to stop. That was kind of hard for them. Like, like Lucas, not moving, right? For a month. They had to sit and rest and not work. Where's dinner coming from? If I don't work, how am I going to pay for that snazzy new fill in the blank if I don't work? One day a week, they had to trust fully. They had to say by sitting still that they knew where all of the goodness in their life came from. It was not ultimately from the strength of their arm, but from his So that when Judah would break the fourth commandment and stream into Jerusalem to do business on the Sabbath, they would be saying they didn't really trust the Lord. They might say they were. Because our hearts are deceitful and above all things. And they're beyond the cure. But the Lord searches the heart and He knows He knows that as they obeyed the Sabbath command, they would be demonstrating their trust in Him and putting their confidence in Him alone. And they would be blessed. You see how this works? If you want to know if you trust the Lord, there's a simple test that can tell you a lot. Do you obey Him? If you trust, you will obey If you trust the Lord, you'll obey the Lord. And if you consistently choose to not obey Him, you have to ask the question whether or not you trust Him in the first place. Are you obeying Him? Or is there a clear command of Scripture that you know you are disobeying? 
Judah had put their fingers in their ears and would not listen to Yahweh. Verse 23 says, they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. And therefore, they would be a bush in the wastelands. Exile was coming. Which, by the way, would give the land a chance to rest. Like it should have all along. But you and I don't have to follow Judah's path. We can choose the path of faith and obedience. And that path leads to blessing. And here's why we can do that. Because of the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Because Jesus has died and come back to life again, those who put their faith and trust in him have something else inscribed on the tablets of their hearts. It's jumping ahead, but listen to the promise of Jeremiah 31. I can't wait to get there with you. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Listen, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. When Jeremiah said in verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things, who can understand it? He immediately answered the question, the Lord does. I, the Lord, search the heart. So when he also says the heart is beyond cure, he doesn't mean that absolutely either. He doesn't mean that nobody can cure it. He just means that you and I can't do it. There is one who can cure the human heart. We can't fix our hearts, but the Lord Jesus Christ most certainly can and does through the power of his blood applied by his spirit, giving us new hearts and a new ability to trust and obey him. Have you come to put your trust, your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, I invite you to do so right now, right here. Because at the cross, Jesus took on the judgment that you and I deserved. He absorbed the rewards for our misdeeds. And he gives us the reward that he deserves for his perfect obedience. The father searched his son's heart and found no deceit. Not one little bit. So that our hearts can be made new. I've been listening recently to a Christian band that's new to me called we the kingdom. The worship team is working on introducing one of their songs this fall for us all to sing. And they have a song called SOS, which I think gets at this idea of not understanding ourselves because of our own deceitful hearts. The lyrics say this, why do I do the things I don't want to do when all they do is hurt me? I'm reaching out. One last plea. Is hope all gone Somebody save me. I'm reaching out. One last plea. Is all hope gone? Somebody please save me. SOS, I'm lost at sea. Is all hope gone? Somebody save me. And Jesus Christ says, yes, I will. Trust in me. 
I don't understand me, but I'm glad the Lord does. And I'm even more glad that he saves me. Amen?